Okay, hello everybody and welcome back to the Penn State College Democast. Uh, this is your host Chris once again. We know it's been a while, but we're excited to be back bringing you more content. The broad topic of this week's discussion will be the first two debates, the presidential and the uh, vice presidential one, as well as Trump's contracting of COVID and uh, the general spread throughout the White House and amongst the Republican Party. Uh, I am joined today by three people. Uh, if they would like to introduce themselves now, they can. Uh, hey guys, it's Gabby again. Um, excited to be back for another podcast episode. And it's Emma back again with another episode. Really excited to be here and dig into these topics. Hi guys, it's Sam Alger, the fundraising chair for the College Democrats. I'm very excited to be here today. Yeah, welcome Sam. We're really have, uh, glad to have you on here. Thank you. Um, okay, so just as like a kind of get the topic started, get it out there. Uh, I know that everybody here uh, watched the first two debates. Uh, if anybody would like to share their broad opinions on the debates, uh, how they thought it was run, uh, what they thought the results were even, uh, feel free if anybody wants to. Yeah, I don't think it's a hot take to say that the first debate was um, a chaotic disaster. I think across the board, that was kind of everyone's thoughts and opinions um, on the debate, no matter kind of what party line you were on. Um, so much talking over each other, lack of moderation, um, lack of respect, especially from Trump, I feel, um, given to Biden to give him the ability to talk about the issues and speak on them. Um, yeah, it was a lot of kind of fighting and not as much policy, which I think is where um, the VP debate kind of was better with that. Um, there wasn't a lot of answering questions in that debate <laughs> that everyone kind of dodged everything, but there was <laughs> a lot more discussion on policy, um, which I kind of enjoyed better than um, everyone talking over each other in the first debate. Yeah, I'd have to agree. It was like, for lack of better terms, it was just a shit show. I mean, they were just screaming <laughs> the entire time. You had Biden telling Trump to shut up, like in those terms, like I've never seen something like less professional from I, I don't want to say never because Trump's been in office for quite a long time now but like this was big and like on the national like stage it's it was just crazy I'm still like partly in all that it happened but the other part of me is like I should have been expecting that here's the difference though when I thought about like that moment everyone was like Ugh, like they the campaign really kind of monopolized on that like he said shut up man um, and they were really like, oh, like you're saying what everyone in America wants to say. But I saw tweets that were like, if Hillary had said that during the debate in 2016, like it would have been a totally different ball game that would have been taken a totally different way versus now ba like Biden's kind of praised for it. Um, it's just something to think about. Mm -hmm. I kind of generally feel like the word that sums up all debates is just mud smearing because I feel like Trump and um Pence were both like spending a lot of time to go out of their ways and just like smear Biden and um, Harris and instead of talking about things that they would want people to know that they did. So yeah, I didn't appreciate that. Yeah, no, all good points. And I think um, even like going back to uh, what Emma said regarding uh, the Biden shut up comment and how that would have been received by Hillary. Um, I think it's worth noting that throughout both debates but it's particularly the second one, um, there was some not too implicit um, signs of sexism 
Um, Pence being comfortable consistently uh, talking over Kamala and uh, the moderator during the second debate. Uh, yeah, it just, uh, it, it, it wasn't a good look all around, I think. Um, it, it is worth noting, though, that I think this during the vice presidential debate, uh, I think that probably, because I know after the first debate, Trump actually went down in the polls in some areas by a significant margin, um, specifically Pennsylvania. I do think Pence's performance probably helped them rebound from that a little bit, just because while Pence may spew as many lies as Trump, like at least Pence does so in a controlled manner where uh, he seems like, you know, even if what he's saying is absolute like bullshit, um, you know, at least he's talking in like a relatively rational manner, it would appear. It's kind of like though that the bar is on the floor. Like, are we really <laughs> saying that like, oh, this man is actually saying a coherent sentence and is talking in a maybe formal way, but he's spewing lies. So like, we're saying that like, oh, I guess he's better, but I, it's just funny how <laughs> the bar is on the floor. Um, our standard of, oh, he's a, like better for like people, like if there's a boost in the polls from it, like people think that that's like a good thing. I think um, it just kind of shows where we're at in this moment. Um, and like with poll boosting after debates, they've like been shown, debates have been notoriously shown and unless it was like a really, really big moment. Um, like when the first debate happened, when JFK was on TV, you know, um, that debates usually don't do much to affect polling. There might be a little boost after um, or a little like dip before, but in the general terms of things, they don't do a lot to sway like the general big public opinion. Um, so which I found this like debate particularly interesting. And I think um, Jacob, who's not here, but he brought it up that um, they said like only like 6% of people watching the debate were undecided. A lot of people are already decided and it's pretty much everyone just kind of rooting for their own teams um, at this point. And a lot of people have already voted even. So um, it's kind of an interesting dynamic for this debate. Yeah, it is. It is interesting how the debates have turned into like a spectacle. Of, maybe they maybe they always have been, but like they're a spectacle of sorts. It's almost like a sports match, you know. Like you root on your team, uh, you hope that they like embarrass or outperform the other side. And then like there's really only that very small margin of voters that are watching the debates and actually like thinking critically and letting it determine um, who they're going to vote for. So I do think that's worth noting that while these debates may seem like bigger deals. Um, what Emma said is right, that overall, uh, their effects on polling are relatively negligent. Which is good, because the second one got canceled, so <laughs> it's not like there's much impact. Oh, was it was it canceled completely? I thought they were just doing it virtually. Yeah, they, they canceled it because um, Trump refused to do it virtually. Oh, wow, that's actually news to me. Um, I think it's well, because they can't, like, he can't talk over people if it's virtual. Like, they could literally true. cut him off, which... They could, they could just mute him on Zoom. Yeah, mm. one could argue you could do that with microphones as well, since we have the technology to do so. But I guess they just don't want to do that in person. <laughs> but it would just be more effective. Um, I think that, yeah, I think that the Trump campaign also realizes that they need to, they're not, the Trump campaign has to know that they're not doing well. And... I think they're trying to think of every strategy they can that Trump is going to look best in. And they know Trump's not going to look good in that format because like his persona where he got his voters are these big in-person events. Like that's where he thrives. That's where he lives. And that's where he like gets this 
political kind of momentum happening and on an online format like this it wouldn't have the same effect and I think it would really really not look good for him versus Biden's kind of used to this online format he's been doing it this is how he's been campaigning um doing virtual town halls so I think the Trump campaign probably realized how it was going to look for Trump if they did it online yeah I definitely agree with what you said Emma but um I know Thursday, instead of the two of them debating, Biden's just going to hold a town hall at the same spot. I feel like he, like you said, he excels talking to people. But I feel like, especially now, it's going to cost him because he's still at the White House not doing much, while Biden has every opportunity to go around, around the country and speak to people while still being socially distanced. So I really think this is starting to hurt him at this point. Yeah, I think that's probably going to be a pretty good look for Biden. Um, and that kind of reminds me of one thing a lot of people were saying after the first debate, which is that, like, for the majority of the first debate, Trump was speaking, like, at Biden or at Christopher Wallace, um, while Biden spent, like, a lot of the debate speaking to the American people, which I think is important. Like, I think that's where Biden shines and he needs to continue to like reach out to the people and like present himself as like a people's candidate um, rather than like get too involved with like yelling and arguing with Trump because he definitely excelled the most at like kind of getting the people on his side. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Like you want to show that your main focus is the people you're trying to serve and not the people that you're running against or the moderator for that purpose like he he spent a good portion of time like maybe like five minutes just yelling at wallace which was just absurd <laughs> absolutely unreal yeah um so speaking of which i thought we could have maybe a brief discussion uh, concerning the moderators at the last two debates um so I'm not sure what happened on other forms of social media, but I know on Twitter, at least, uh, everybody was going wild because a lot of people just felt like the moderators were not doing their jobs. Um, what are our general thoughts on that? Like, do we agree? Do we disagree? What do we think they can do better in the future? I kind of agree with the notion that they sometimes fail to do what they're supposed to do. And I also feel like at the same time, if you're trying to, like, keep someone to adhere to the rules and they're just as determined to say, no, I'm just going to say what I want to say. It's, um, it's a precarious situation to be in, especially when Wallace was trying to moderate Trump and he just wouldn't shut up and kept talking and talking to the point where it's like he's debating him and not Biden anymore. So yeah, it's ridiculous in my opinion. I think honestly, it might be part of the show and I this might be like a, a little bit of conspiracy theory but um I think the moderators may be told that like they should assert themselves but also asserting themselves is a bit of a, a spectacle to show the candidates true selves like who's going to talk over the moderator who's going to push around the moderator it's kind of showing how the candidates kind of present themselves and how they mingle in like professional fields so maybe there is a point to the moderators not being like assertive and effective because I think they're really trying to show what the candidates are like um, in those settings. And like Trump definitely showed how he is <laughs> when it comes to like working with other people and like working through a moderator and holding on to agreements 
that he set, like the moderator mentioned, you agreed to these time frames, you agreed to do this, yet you're like talking back at me and coming at me. Um, so I think there's a like a specific point to that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's definitely a good point. Like we we saw his character, I mean, we've seen his character come out before, but like yet again, it was just like confirmed how he just like, for lack of better terms, bullies people. And he just like won't let anyone get a word in. Um, unless it's like a word he wants to hear. Yeah, and um, I think it's worth noting too how like the lax moderation styles, um, how they sort of contribute to like a more chaotic debate in general though, because what I noticed happening was, um, and this was particularly uh, with Pence and Trump, is that they would talk over uh, Biden and Kamala and then since they talked over them, Biden and Kamala would lose their time. And so to get that time back so they could finish their thoughts, they had to then go over the time limit, which just led to more chaos and more like uh, problems with the moderators. So like in order for a fair and equal debate to happen, there has to be equal speaking time. So when one person takes more than their allotted time, the other person kind of has to as well. And so lacks moderation um, sort of uh like unravels the order of the debates yeah there there just wasn't any order at all i mean like i've been to like high school debates and stuff and like people just don't get away with stuff like that <laughs> the one we had what was it last spring or fall with the college republicans like that was way more civil <laughs> yeah yeah I think the moderators are also towing a line with, like, they are speaking and trying to control the current president of the United States and a former vice president and hopefully to be president of the United States. So it's like, how much can they, like, how much can they step on their toes? How much can they really push? Yes, they both, like, obviously agreed to it. So I guess, and they can push as long, like, as hard as they want if they're not following the rules that they um, have agreed to and both campaigns have agreed to. But it is kind of, like, interesting to think about how, like, you are trying to control, like, the leader of the free world. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Like, what do you say to the president when they're just, like, not yeah. listening to you? Like, what, what kind of punishment can they receive? <laughs> well, Trump's above the law, apparently, he thinks, so. That's also fair. And taxes. Above the law and taxes. That's just me. Well, we saw a lot of in the second debate, and um, I thought this was almost comical how ineffective it was. Um, but with Susan Page attempting to um, like quiet Pence when he went over his time limit, like it turns out that all you say to them is thank you, and you hope that that gets them to stop talking. Um, and you know, shockingly enough, most of the time it doesn't get them to stop talking, which who would have guessed? But you know. yeah, it just. I, I feel like there was just clear, like, I don't want to say favoritism, but, like, she just wasn't going as hard on um, Pence as she was Kamala, and, like, I don't know if that's just me being biased as a Democrat, but, like, it just seemed she was more forceful, and I don't know, maybe the fact that Pence wasn't listening and Kamala was more so listening, it just didn't seem like she was extending the same amount of, like, I don't know, rules as, like, she would with one or the other. Yeah, I, I agree for the majority of the debate. I do, um, I believe I remember kind of late into the second debate, uh, there being a point where 
uh, the moderator, Susan Page, just kind of snaps. And, like, she, she kind of yells at both of them a little bit to try to get it under control. Um, so th they definitely, and we saw the same thing with Chris Wallace, uh, they're def they definitely, like, have their limits. But, yeah, the, the limits definitely get pushed a little bit. And um, I agree that I felt like maybe not as much in the first debate, but particularly in the second debate, I did feel like uh, the Republican nominee was being favored slightly in terms of, um, like, speaking time interruptions and like you said that might just be because the democratic nominees were more willing to like go along with the rules but um regardless i i felt like i had the same observation yeah i mean there was like a clear point where she was like you've had more time than she has and he's like well i'm gonna finish and then she like tries to stop him but then kind of gives up so she's like <laughs> at this point acknowledging that he's had more time but just letting it go on either way so it's just a mess it was a mess yeah um i did enjoy that one moment um where uh moderator page tried to um like silence uh kamala while she was speaking over the time limit and she just kind of turned to the moderator and she goes um he interrupted me so i'm going to finish like i need another 20 seconds and she took that 20 seconds and i think um i think that was good i think she did a really good job at um, asserting herself there um, without uh, drawing criticism from a lot of people about being like aggressive or anything because we do know that um, a lot of people like to uh, like pull that card of the candidate being too aggressive. Well, it's also worth noting that people will always try to fit Kamala and women of color into this trope of they're aggressive. Um, and I think I think Kamala is an amazing speaker and I think she does an amazing job of trying to maybe push back against this kind of thought. Um, but when a woman of color kind of asserts themselves in any space, they're always seen as aggressive. Um, that's just, like across the board historically. Um, that's kind of like the tropes of women of color. So I think that Kamala was not only playing against kind of Pence and his agenda and his lies that he was spewing, um, but also pushing it back against trying to not have everyone afterwards criticize her um, in a way that they wouldn't if she wasn't a woman of color. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think the rhetoric used around Kamala's um, debate was like exactly that, like she was being too aggressive, she was making too many faces when like those same people were watching Trump's debate and like didn't comment on that at all, or at least not to that degree. Um, and I mean, like we've all seen Trump like talk before obviously whether it be like press conferences rallies or whatever and he's just like the level at which he makes those faces and like mocks people and it's just never talked to to the degree that Kamala was talked about that um last the last debate which is really frustrating and we all know why it happens which is like even more frustrating but yeah I totally agree with that Emma yeah. Yeah, like Trump can make a spectacle and be angry, um, but he's seen as, oh, he's being a strong leader. But if Kamala tries to do that, um, she's seen as an emotional woman. So, mm -hmm. sort of um, on a similar topic, um, how did everybody feel about the second debate in particular and um, 
the way that the candidates went about answering the questions because there have been a lot of critiques and personally I agree with them that basically neither candidate answered almost any question asked of them by the moderator. Um, there was a lot of dodging um, on Pence's side. There was a ton of lying. Um, but if I'm being totally honest too, a lot of the time uh, Kamala wasn't really answering the questions either. There was just a ton of dodging. It was just, uh, it was like politics at its finest almost, just very little um, actual talking about what the moderator wanted to talk about. Yeah, I didn't like the fact that they kept walking around like really important questions. Like I know when Pence was grilled about the fact that the Republicans and the Trump administration have been ruthlessly trying to gut Obamacare and they kept asking, what's your replacement or what's your plan? And he says, well, we have, well, the president side A, B and C into order. And then everyone's like, no, that's not true. So I just really feel like that was off-putting. I kind of think this is what we get for having our presidential nominee be a moderate candidate. Um, they're trying to appease kind of the entire base, um, which is kind of why he, like Biden and Kamala are in these positions to begin with. Um, but it, it is frustrating, like as a progressive in the Democratic Party, how like there's there's so many questions in both debates where I I knew there was a like there was a straight answer like there was there's an answer you could say, but both Biden and Kamala won't say them because it'll upset, um, kind of the middle or the broader bases like a couple moments like that really stuck out to me were like, um, discussing climate change. Um, I think both in both debates it wasn't talked about in the way it should have between both I think Biden and Kamala. Um, because they do have a comprehensive and strong climate change plan, but they won't, they don't want to make those like big sweeping, broad kind of progressive strokes because the right will take that and run with it. And so will kind of the moderates and they don't want to upset um, those people. But like the statement where that kind of upset me. And I think a lot of people that I follow like on Twitter um, in the progressive politics space, like when the topic of fracking was brought up, um, how Biden will not ban fracking. And all of us are sitting here like progressives are like, uh, not the right, not what we would want them to say, not the, what we want, like, um, so I think, I don't know, I think the Biden and that whole campaign is really playing into this middle, everyone coming together group, which makes it harder to answer questions straightforward in that kind of setting. And in the Republican side, they just never answer the questions straightforward. They always have an angle, they always have a play. Um, so like, that's not surprising to me, but it was kind of frustrating as a Democrat supporting the Democratic candidates when they weren't, they could answer these questions straightforward, but they weren't. Yeah, the whole uh, transition to me, like within a few minutes from uh, Biden believes in science to Biden will not ban fracking was a little bit jarring, gave me a little bit of whiplash because, um, you know, science consistently shows that fracking is terrible for the environment and terrible for like the communities that's like that um it's around um but I think I think a lot of that was for some reason uh the Democratic Party seems to have it in their mind that like Pennsylvania is like only people who frack and so if you want to if you want to win Pennsylvania you just say that you're okay with fracking um I think that's pretty pretty far off from the truth, but that did seem to be the angle that like both parties were coming into this debate with when it comes to fracking. Yeah, I mean, you saw that like one tweet by Trump. It was like, 
he was confused or something about like one of the polls that was saying that Biden was leading in PA and he was like I don't understand why this is happening because he like he's gonna ban fracking and it just like under the assumption that like as you said like everyone in Pennsylvania wants fracking and like it was just so weird because it's like telling constituents like what they want to or what he thinks they should be hearing or something it was just such a weird tweet but yeah that that was a very disappointing um moment in the debate but it's just one of those reach across the aisle situations that we've had to like endure like over the past like year or so from these candidates because of you know the type of election this is I don't even think necessarily it's reach across the aisle. I think it's reach into the wallets. Um, like Pennsylvania's money and so much of the political money is from the fracking and like oil and gas lobby. Um, and it's not a, like you're like the constituents might be on the same page, but the money in Pennsylvania isn't. The fracking and oil and gas lobby control our like Pennsylvania legislature. They control so many of even the Democratic candidates, like in Democrat um, PA House, State House. Um, like legislatures in general so it's not as much I don't think there's so much money in PA surrounding fracking oil and gas mm -hmm. like we're the third largest producer of it or second third or second <laughs> in the nation on it so it's like it's not as much constituents it's more of money because um, like once constituents realize that like fracking is going to tear up and ruin their lives like and ruin their environment and ruin their neighborhood they realize that like, oh, this is screwed up, but there's so much money in it that they, and the money is controlling so much that they can't really do anything about it. Like I come from an area who was like in Pennsylvania, who was deeply impacted by the um, natural gas industry that kind of came into my town, built it up and then left. Um, but like even people there realize how it has damaged the environment. And I come from a really, really, really red area but it's right in their face. They see it. So I think it's not as much the constituents. It's so much of the money and the oil and gas lobby in Pennsylvania, um, which will never support a candidate who um, doesn't support fracking. Um, but honestly, like, I think that also comes down to just fixing our campaign finance laws for the millionth time. I will always <laughs> yell about our campaign finance laws, but like, that's why this is so impactful. That's why oil and gas and Biden having to say that he supports fracking is such a big deal because, um, there's so much money in it and you can't win a campaign and you can't especially win a campaign against Trump um, if we don't have so much money. Yeah, and um, I did see something kind of interesting the other day. Um, I believe it was something around whoever wins Pennsylvania has like, the polls are showing that they have like an 87% chance or something of winning the entire election if they win Pennsylvania. So uh, this is definitely one of those states where I guess you just, you adjust your policy and you say what you have to say to win it. And um, I think that's just what we're going to see happening on both sides. Yeah, but I also feel like that has a significant cause. Like, I understand how important Pennsylvania is in the grand scheme of things, but our environment and, of course, the people that live there, they are solely impacted by what goes on. Like, like Emma said, you live around in these communities and you watch them come in, extract the material and leave, and they leave the environment in the worst place. And I even read some time ago that Pennsylvania, Delaware, New York, and I think another state that I, for that I forget pulling a blank right now is planning on building some sort of oil or gas pipeline 
on and shipping a bunch of um shipping a bunch of oil and gas products over near the Delaware River system and the amount and money and all these things is really concerning the number one concern is if there's an accident which is quite common in these industries what's going to happen to the neighboring community because when we see like these massive oil and gas accidents and the the leading no, I'm sorry. What happens afterwards is we usually see a detrimental, irreversible damage to our environment. So that's really something to consider too. Yeah, I worked on a campaign this summer and still kind of finishing out where one of those pipelines is going through um, their community and it's like spilled, it's broken. And so much of this oil and gas that's being extracted isn't going to heat people's homes. It's not going to create like energy that we think it is it's going to create plastic it's going to create more disposable plastic like it's not even correlated to our energy output or like making our lives as people better it's just creating more plastic that we don't need um so it's very frustrating but i'm also frustrated around like the climate change questions that have been coming up because like it's always framed as like oh what about the economy what do you mean what about the economy if florida's underwater who cares about the economy if i can't get food because our food system's like screwed up who cares about the economy? Like, it's such, like, a basic, like, obviously, the economy is connected to our everyday life, but if we can't survive, and our air is screwed up, and we can't breathe, and we don't have fresh water, like, that's, the economy is such a small issue, so, and also, they always get critiqued about the Green New Deal that keeps getting brought up, but the Green New Deal is a jobs program, like, who's gonna not be in support of a literal jobs program, and I hate how the right has kind of taken it and shaped it to be this big evil socialist monster called the Green New Deal and it has to be brought up every debate to scare people into supporting the right um but yeah the the whole climate change questions and how kind of they've been talked about has been really frustrating yeah um I agree I was I I I mean I can't say I was surprised but like just kind of like like even like extra disappointed when during the debate uh the vice presidential debate uh Pence was asked a question about climate change, and I think, like, one of the first, like, words to leave his mouth was him yelling about how, like, Joe Biden will increase taxes or something. And it's just like you said, like, the Republican Party loves to put this emphasis on how, um, on, well, for, first of all, they, they lie in the first place by saying the economy would suffer under the Green New Deal or under a more progressive climate policy, so that's just a lie in general. But then they use that suffering to justify not doing the climate policy. And um, it's just, yeah, I agree. it's just pretty despicable, honestly. They would rather let like cities go underwater and they'd rather like California burn than uh, lose any money. Yeah, I mean, because like at that point, like what is your money going to be used for if like everything goes to shit? Like there's just no point, like what Emma said earlier, there's no point like worrying about the economy if like, like everything's just fucked up. And we can do all these things in a way that will support and help the economy. Like the Green New Deal is a jobs program. It's all about creating jobs and renewable energy and creating like good sources and good paying jobs to fuel our lives. And because we need energy, we're an energy consuming country, which also is a side problem of how much we consume in general. But um, like, there's so many ways to do it where it's not going to hurt the economy and just kicking this can down the road with um, climate change. And I even hate kick, like saying kicking the can down the road because 
there are places where climate change is affecting everyday lives. Like California, the fires are burning, but like there's places all across the world that have been affected deeply by climate change already. And just because we in America necessarily haven't felt it as deeply as other places have, um, it's just frustrating that we're kicking the can down the road, not taking it as seriously as it needs to be, even from um, kind of top down. So like a lot of people are voting this election. A lot of young people are voting for Biden because we'll have more progressive climate change policies. And I think that's really important um, and a cool thing to see. Yeah. Um, so unless anybody has any more uh, to say about the climate discussion during the debates, um, I wanted to bring up one question during the vice presidential debate that was dodged in a particularly concerning manner. Um, it was when Susan Page asked, well, she pointed out first that either uh, Pence or Harris will end up being the vice president to the oldest president in American history. And yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, that's just- So, but the, the question she asked then was like, have, you had any discussions with your presidential candidate about what will happen in a situation of presidential disability where the president can't serve or something happens to the president and the vice president needs to take control. Um, so the way that that question was dodged by both candidates was basically um, Kamala more or less saying how much she like agrees with Joe on most topics and Kamala just kind of giving like a short like story about her own life. And then Pence basically just said, um, it doesn't matter, like Trump's going to be all right. Uh, so we have this very, like this, this genuine issue. I mean, Trump recently got very sick. Um, you know, Biden is old. Um, <laughs> anything could happen to either of these candidates and anything could happen to either of these candidates. And, um, like the American people don't know what would happen. We don't have any clarity. Nobody has informed us about um, what, what the vice presidential plan is. And I think that's like extremely concerning considering, like she said, the two oldest candidates, the two, um, one of the two will be the oldest president in American history. Oh yeah, I definitely agree with her. That's a, that's a concerning, that's a concerning issue and there should be a legitimate plan for them to have for what that, for what happens if one of them became incapacitated or even pass pass away, but um, I think their unwillingness to address it is concerning because people know they're very old. Not people know they're old because anyone with having a having a leader that's in their late seventies would be concerned about what happens as you go on, but um. Like I said before, their inability to answer the question is concerning because I know they want to perpetuate the image that as long as we're here, there's not going to be a problem. But that's kind of like pushing and put the problem off to another day. And that's really not good, especially in this circumstance. I like the way Kamala answered it slightly. I mean, she still didn't answer it. Like, they, she wasn't, it, was, it was an easy yes or no question. Um, but like she kind of explained her credentials and how she would kind of support Joe's initiatives um, if Joe couldn't be there, but she never said the words like, oh, if Joe was disabled, like, you know what I mean? She's never going to say those words. And I think that's also from an angle of like campaigning that you never want to kind of admit your candidate's weaknesses um, in that kind of way, especially like 
with this rhetoric that has been said around Joe Biden in general, like the right taking these videos of Biden, like having a gaffe and like turning him into a campaign ad. Like I saw one of those the other day. Um, like there's this, everyone thinks that Joe Biden is cognitively not there. Or like there's this spin on everything he says or like clips taken out of context to try to make it look like um, he's not all there. So it's, I don't think Kamala wanted to ever feed into that. And I think she was, I think they coached her if that kind of question come up about how to answer that in a way that wouldn't even kind of discuss Biden's weakness. To piggyback off what you said about how people have been attacking uh, Joe and his um, stuttering, I kind I take deep personal issue because I do stutter from time to time. And I do have speaking issues and seeing people relentlessly coming after him time and time again, even though it's kind of prevalent if you look back at his speeches, that like he does stammer from time to time. I kind of feel like there's a legitimate concern and then it's people's own like, own like personal um, gains to get from it, using someone else's um, disability and relentlessly attacking them and attacking them and attacking them over and over over and over over it and it's quite ridiculous in my opinion yeah i i totally agree um i think a lot of people fail to see um both both on the left and the right honestly um that when it comes to critiquing a candidate um there's no need to in fact it's not just that there's no need to you should not uh start adopting like ableist rhetoric um or other such things, because um, first of all, in, in the first place, ableism is inherently wrong. It's morally wrong. Um, but second, I saw a very uh, like kind of thought-provoking thing the other day, which is that these candidates and stuff that you may like mock for their disabilities, um, like they're not going to see your little comment. You uh, you know your, your comment's going to be insignificant to them but like countless other people who may have the same disability will see the comment and will take offense and will be hurt by it. So I think when you're critiquing these candidates, you need to keep in mind that uh, there are like policy faults um, or like leadership faults you can address without attacking them um, on like these inappropriate bases. I think one moment that I like just really want to talk about and where I thought kind of Joe had his moment and I think a lot of people took this moment from the debate um, was when Trump tried to attack his son um, and his history like um, with the military and being like ejected from the military um, and Joe stood there and said like I'm proud of my son and his journey that he's made um, with his struggles with addiction. I think that was a really moving moment for a lot of people who have struggled with addiction or have family members that have struggled with addiction um, for Joe to stand up there and say I'm proud of my son and kind of put Trump in his place with that and I think it made also it also made Trump look just that much more bad of a person like if you haven't seen him be a horrible person yet um, speaking ill on someone's family because of their struggles with addiction is really really up there I think um, but I think that was a kind of a moment for Joe that happened later in the debate that really kind of I think a lot of people took away from it as like, yeah, this is the man we're supporting for our presidency. And like, this is the type of rhetoric that we cannot ever support from someone. I agree with you. Like when, instead of Biden, like naturally attacking him, uh, Trump back for what he said about his son, 
I like that he took the time out to personally say that he was proud of his son. And I also feel like if you had a family member who struggled with drugs, especially with opioids, because the opioids crisis is really, really resurging, especially with everyone being at home and being put in really stressful situations. I felt like he made the proper presidential move by talking to people and saying, hey, my son has struggled just like somebody in your family. And I want to show you that I'm human. And I'm here to help you. And instead of making fun about dragging your family member through the month. So I feel like Joe took the responsible path there. Yeah, I agree. I don't think like Trump really took into consideration how many people he would personally offend. Like, cause like you said, Sam, like it's a huge crisis, especially in this country. And I think that was just like a horrible move. I mean, just debate wise, like morally, it's just awful. But like, like he just didn't think that one through. Yeah, um, totally agree. And I think that was also another one of those situations where like Trump attacks Joe and Joe's family. Um, and Joe's response wasn't like to snap back at Trump or anything like that. It was first of all, defend my family. And second, like while he was defending his family, he wasn't speaking to Trump as much as he was speaking to the nation and kind of saying like, you know, like I acknowledge my son's addiction and I'm very proud of him for what he's overcome. And I'm sure that spoke to a lot of people um, on a very personal level. So I think that's another one of those uh, examples of a situation that Joe excels in where he addresses the people and um, you can really get due to them. I think it's kind of also an interesting thing that like Trump is running it's a good thing for like Democrats that Trump is so running out of steam and like things to attack Biden about that he's like having to attack his family and kind of his like character, which I think is hard to do on a person with like Joe Biden, who has kind of gone through so much and his family has been through so much like that hits a low level. Um, even if like you don't like Biden as like a person, his family has gone through so much um, in their life and like it's like his life story is kind of really a sad story to like have him now run for president is really um and that's kind of like why he's running for president to begin with right because his son like asked him to run um but like trump's kind of running out of things to get at biden like if it's only like calling him sleepy joe like really that's all you got um i don't know i feel like it's kind of showing that trump is running out of things to attack biden with it kind of shows that he's in this bad position um, which I hope he stays in. Yeah, um, I think you're totally right. I think we even saw it during the debate. Um, like Trump's uh, Trump Trump's attacks on Biden were getting less and less specific. He would just kind of yell out like that's a lie or something, or he'd just talk over him. But it wasn't um, quite like the level of like name calling or like aggressive attacks as we've seen from Trump in the past. And it's not because Trump is passive like pacified at all. It's because I think the Biden campaign and Biden uh, in particular is doing a very good job at kind of minimizing uh, the kinds of things that Trump can reasonably attack him for. Um, one of the one of the attacks we did see a lot during the first debate, and um, I don't know, I'd like to hear uh, all of your thoughts on this too, because uh, I have mixed feelings about it. But a lot of the time during the debate, when Biden would take a more moderate democratic stance on an issue um, such as climate change, like when he said that he didn't support the Green New Deal, um, Trump's retort to that was always, you just lost like the far left, like you just lost uh, like your leftist uh, voters. 
Personally, I think most people uh, on the far left side of the political spectrum are going to vote for Biden regardless, just because they can't, they know that the country can't survive another four years of Trump. But um, yeah, I would like to hear other people's thoughts on that, because I'm not totally sure. I think there, there's some point, uh, there is some value to the point that he's making there that it may be true to some extent, but I don't think it's too relevant. I just feel like as somebody who's included the radical left, I kind of feel like him, Trump taking all the time to just say the radical left won't do this, the radical left won't like you for doing that. But I just feel like at this point, it's less about what I believe and it's kind of accepting the fact that, you know, voting is a form, is a metaphor for transportation, if you know, the other way around transportation is a metaphor for voting you're not vote you're not looking for like the most perfect way to get to point a to b you're just looking from getting to point a to b so as much as i wish biden would take a stronger stance on things i understand that's how politics work and you know you say what you say and do what you can to get people on your side but at the same time i just feel like trump just taking all the time out to point it out is minimal and ridiculous because even if that is true to some extent, I feel like a majority of people understand that Biden's our best shot as what we have and any other alternative is not worth it at this point. Like, yeah, the ra- like the left, also I hate this term radical left. Like, I'm sorry that we care about basic human rights. Stop calling us radical for that. We hate Trump more than anything. Like we realize how like, Trump has put us into this situation and like, like the left isn't going to leave, like Biden's our best bet, like Sam said, like if we haven't left him yet, we're not going to leave him now just because he said something in a debate. Like it's not, like, I don't think Trump realizes how much we hate him more than we like Biden per se. Like in 2016, a lot of people just didn't vote and they didn't, they didn't necessarily like Trump, but they also didn't like Hillary enough to get out and vote. Versus now, a lot of people realize how much of a mistake that was and how much it put our country in a hole because of that decision not to vote. Um, And so now, like, people are going to vote regard, like, they're going to vote. And I think it's, they're going to not vote for Trump because we just don't like Trump. Um, And such, like, um, like, Biden's the step towards progress. He's not where we want it to be, but he is, like, making progress. We need four more years of Biden four years of Biden at least to address climate change and get us kind of on the right path versus we can't, we literally won't survive another four years of Trump. So like we have priorities and the left understands that we can't just sit wayside and not vote for Biden and then get four years of Trump. I agree. I feel like the majority of the left, like him not, you know, supporting the Green New Deal on like national TV, like we're like obviously really disappointed, but we realize this is the best chance we have. Like there are some people that are like just saying, oh, the system's like really broken. It doesn't matter if we like vote or not. Um, like it is disappointing to see people like that on Twitter. Um, Cause you know, like, yeah, the system's not great and the electoral college sucks, but like this is something that we can do to try and reach like at least better than what we have right now. Um, so it's like disappointing to see some of those people, but I don't think those people would also be like, oh, like I thought he was supporting the Green New Deal. Like, 
let me not vote now. Like it, like at this point, they just aren't going to vote. So I don't think like Trump's point of like, oh, you lost the radical left is like accurate. And it's also weird because like, had he said the other thing, like he would have attacked him for that too. So Trump was just playing this kind of like gotcha game, which is just really odd. I don't know. Yeah, it's like there's the radical left, but then like as a trigger word for the moderates, but then there's the word like socialism as a trigger for everyone else. It's like these like turning like these words, like the conservative movement and like the Republican Party has done a good job in turning these words into such like scary trigger words like, oh, the radical left, oh, socialism, the worst thing that could ever happen to the entire world, the Green New Deal, ah, like it's like, are they sleeping and having nightmares of them? Like, it's crazy how they've turned these things into like these crazy scary words for both moderates and the Democratic Party, but also like the general consensus of people. I don't know, it's just another one of the examples to me of like conservative agendas being effective in scaring the American people. Yeah, I feel like it's just one of those weird like fear mongering tactics that they use. And like, if you don't do any outside research other than watching Fox News every night, you're probably gonna believe it. Um, which is really frustrating because there's just no way to reach some people. But yeah, there are certainly some words now that I feel like Biden's campaign just feels like they can't use because they've just been dragged through the mud. Like, I feel like some of his policies are ones that we see in the Green New Deal, but he just won't say the word now because of like the impact that the right has had on that word. Uh, all right. Uh, so... If anybody has anything else they want to talk about with the debate, uh, we can. Uh, if not, though, I was thinking we kind of transition into like our next uh, topic, which is the recent COVID infection with uh, Trump, his family, and like White House staff, personnel, and other Republicans in general. So, uh, what were people's general thoughts on that? Because from what I understand, Trump and multiple other Republicans uh, most likely contracted it at uh, the, it was like a celebration for uh, the new justice he plans on appointing. Um, so yeah. I just thought it was ironic. <laughs> like he spends an absurd amount of time telling his fans like, don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. The radical left is just trying to scare you back into your house. Sleepy Joe and all the liberal Democrats are just trying to keep you at home and take money out of your pocket. But here he is. He recently just um, forced the, the um, a new um, stimulus package after the election. And I highly doubt that he's going to want to pick it up or do anything if he were to lose. And he's doing all these insane things. Like one week, he'll be saying, wear your masks. Let's get, listen to Dr. Fauci. The next minute, he'll be bad-mouthing him and having his surrogates do the next thing. And then he'll say, you guys should be staying at home. You shouldn't be doing this. But then we see him and all his friends, whether it's the 4th of July, having no masks in sight, just freely walking around and touching other people and hugging. So I really just think it was just a real rude reckoning that hasn't really done anything to him. Because like we saw, like we just saw, not when he was still at Walter Reed, he had his staff to drive him around the front of the hospital just so he can wave and hi, wave and say hi to his um, supporters while he was highly contagious. 
So I don't think he's learned his lesson from it, and I don't think his supporters will too. But as Day said, is he's just going to claim that oh, it wasn't as bad as as bad as I thought it was. You know, I don't feel bad, but he's probably in a worse condition than we probably are being told. I'm just scared about how this is going to be used as like another fuel to the coronavirus isn't that bad. More people die of the flu. It's just a little sickness. Why are we doing all this stuff? Like it's going to add fuel to that fire. And I think that's the fuel that like, that's what Trump wants. But also like Trump probably got like, they put out like some medication we got, which he also got treatment um, that came from abortion stem cells, which is a whole nother can of worms to get into. But like, they're not, if they have any drugs that are going to be experimental or they know they're going to like essentially like help COVID that they're not giving to the general population, they're going to give it to the president. Like there was no way they were going to let him die. There's probably some undercover secret, like presidential immunity type deal. And I don't know. It's like, I kind of sound like a conspiracy theorist today, but like they weren't going to let him die from it and they weren't going to let him get that bad. But this is just adding fuel to the fire of Americans thinking that, oh, this isn't that bad. You can just get through it when Amer- like 200, over 200,000 Americans have died from COVID. And that's a fact. And like, we know that. And it is that bad. And families lost their loved ones and didn't get to see them as they died. And it's just like crazy to now have the president get it, which when I found those news, I was shocked. I was like, oh my God. It was like one o'clock in the morning. I was like, Trump has COVID. Um, but I think it was kind of karma that he got it, but also like I'm scared for the aftermath of it to add fuel to this. Like, oh, it's not that bad. Let's just reopen everything, get back to quote unquote normal life when a pandemic is still clearly happening, when it can even get into the Oval Office. Yeah, and I just think it's so insensitive. Like the point you made, like 200,000 people, like I think it's closer to 210 now, have like died from it. And like that one tweet, like I don't know if everybody has seen it, but he was like, don't be afraid of COVID. Don't let it dominate your life. Um, and I just think that's so insensitive to everyone who has died, everyone who has lost somebody, a loved one. And it's like, not all those people are going and staying at Walter Reed Medical and getting these like extreme doses of steroids like you are. Like it has dominated their life. They no longer have a life. And this is because of your negligence in waiting. And it, it's just horrific. Yeah. And um. As kind of, I think, Emma and Sam in particular already pointed out, um, this whole thing is kind of like seeping in um, irony. Uh, <laughs> at the debate, uh, I think it was literally the night before or like a few nights before uh, with Joe. He was like mocking Joe Biden for like having small events and wearing masks at the events and stuff. And he was like, look at me, I have these big events. Like they always work out well. People aren't getting sick. And then we learned that he literally got sick from one of his events. And, um, yeah, and then, as Emma kind of mentioned, when he went to uh, Walter Reed Hospital, um, first of all, he received socialized health care, the thing that he's constantly screaming against. And then he also, part of it was, uh, like, aborted, aborted uh, fetus stem cells. Um, so, yeah, the whole thing is just really just drenched in irony. Um, it definitely kind of feels like... Uh, sort of like the consequences of his actions to an extent. Um, that was that was my first reaction upon seeing the news because I was I was actually awake at the time when it dropped and I almost couldn't believe it. I was like, this this is unreal. Yeah, and I'd say what's even like, maybe not crazier, but just like 
a lot to take in is like all the other people who have contracted it because of this event and because of being, you know, close to Trump. It's, I mean, I've lost count of like how many people in the White House have gotten it, but it, it's just spread like wildfire. I think the thing to just note about him is that even when he's sick with the virus, he spent so much time downplaying. He still lives in this imaginary world where nothing is, where everything is just fine. He's doing an awesome job. Nothing bad is happening. But when then with, in reality, the polls aren't looking good for Senate Republicans. His polls aren't looking good, but they're all. He's still trying to make it seem like everything's okay. I'm going to go back to campaigning. I'm going to go back to my rallies, blah, blah, blah. But the whole like picture that he's on that, the picture he's painted for himself and Republicans has everybody scrambling. I'm not sure if anybody watched the McSally or the, the McSally debates in down in Arizona. But Martha McSally, the senator from Arizona, spent most of her time dodging questions related to Trump, like how well would you say you are with the president? So it's pretty clear that it's pretty damn clear that Republicans are trying to throw away Trump in an effort to keep their majority that seems to be dwindling day by day. So this is just what happens when you don't take things seriously, nor choose to live in reality. Yeah. And um on the topic of polls, uh, I think, uh, does anybody else have anything more to say about Trump's COVID? Okay. Um, so I am going to close this out here then. Um, but one thing I would like to remind everybody, especially those of you located in Pennsylvania, is please register to vote if you haven't already. Uh, for those of you in Pennsylvania, the voter registration deadline is in on the 19th. Okay, October 19th. So if you have not already, please register to vote by then. Um, if you want to register to vote online and you are a Pennsylvania resident, uh, you can go to www.pavoterservices.pa.gov and there you can find voter registration uh, resources. Uh, I would like to thank uh, Gabby and Emma for joining us for once again another podcast and Sam for being uh, an amazing guest. Uh, we definitely hope to have you on again in the future. Thank you. I, I really do plan on coming back. All right, good. Um, but yeah, uh, I do think that will be all for now. Uh, we know there's quite the gap between our last podcast and this one. Uh, everybody was kind of settling into school, kind of getting our schedules situated, but we hope to start bringing you them a little bit more common, uh, a little more frequently. So we will see you next time, and thank you for tuning in. Thanks, guys. See you thank next time. You.